Hello and welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles, the quarantine edition. I'm very excited to have on the show with me today, Johnny O'Neill. Johnny, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jason. Great to be back. Appreciate you having me back on the show. Absolutely. You've got some uh, some big news. Uh, congratulations on uh, dropping Truth or Dare last month. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been uh, quite a, oh, geez, since the beginning of last year, it's been quite a whirlwind, and especially in May when I started tracking the record. So a lot, a lot going on, but uh, very, very exciting stuff. So been quite a yeah, year. and and you've you've gotten a lot of uh, good uh, coverage on the on the record so far. How does it feel to have it out in the world and in in fans' hands? Well, um, it's it's interesting how fast it seems to have come together. I I started tracking um, vocals and guitar parts uh, out at uh, Brian Bart's studio, my blood brother, um, and um, it just has since then kind of almost taken a life uh, of its own on, and um, it it just it's a whirlwind. I I I have a. a I have two lives. The, the running joke is I need a clone uh, these days. Um, I'm a psychologist by day, a rocker by night. So between the the two, uh, I'm kind of sleep deprived. So if I sound a little slap happy, <laughs> I apologize. But um, but yeah, no, it feels it, it feels great. It, it's um, really been energizing, and it's it kind of is, is almost. Uh, Reminiscent of um, you know being a a, a kid uh, starting Dare Force uh, eons ago, so it's the same kind of kind of energy in the air these days. Um, and and some so, of those songs have been around since the Dare Force days, but you never you never laid them down before on on recording. Uh, and some of them are brand new. And I'm really curious to kind of get the sense of the overall feel that you had in mind for the record and the mix of the songs that you put put together. Yeah, well, it's it's actually kind of a um, chronology or discography, however you want to describe it, of of my uh, writing over the years. Actually, um, the oldest tune on the record is the the acoustic song "Ode to Mark," and that goes back. I I wrote that when I was 16 years old, and um, co-wrote it with a, a, an older friend of. Well, at the time, I thought he was older. We had been playing together. He was in his early 20s, and um, Mark Damon, um, who co-wrote it with me, and sadly he um, was was killed after we no longer were playing together. A couple of years later, he had uh, been coming home from a gig and got hit by a drunk driver. So um, that that song is a a note to him, as well as our, our original Dare Force drummer Mark Miller, who uh, passed away several years ago. But I wrote that when I was 16, and I had the tune. Um, in my head all these years and when I was uh, with Brian and we were talking about different tracks he said well what about that acoustic thing that you you always had why don't you do something with that um, so that's the oldest tune there there are um, a couple of tunes um, oh let me think here um, down and round uh, would be another one that we played years ago never recorded for whatever reason um, uh, tell me what you think you know of is, is kind of an interesting story there um, the tracks for that actually uh, were recorded about 15 years ago we were actually going to put out a another Dare Force record with the, the original lineup and 
variety of circumstances got in the way, but um, I'd written that track and um, Dave Reese, one of our vocalists over the years, had put down a lyrics and, and a vocal line to it and I didn't particularly care for what what he had and I thought, you know what, I, I, I'm just going to rewrite the lyrics and a whole new melody line and come out with a, a brand new version of that. Um, and then there's some brand new tunes, um, Snake in the Grass, uh, uh, Coming for You, um, uh, you know, several temples, another brand new one. Um, and then, uh, well, let me see, Red Suns in the Sky goes back to 87, right after the initial run of Dare Force uh, ended in 87. I had a, a kind of a ragtag unit for a few months called Rogue's Gallery, pretty aptly named uh, cast of characters. Um, but we played that tune, and of course that never was recorded. But it's kind of funny. Um, songs sometimes will just kind of pop up and say, okay, now it's time to, to do something with me. Um, so I, I wanted to really take the listener on a, a kind of a sonic um, journey, if you will. It's, you know, it's certainly not your typical, um, there's elements of Dare Force to the record, of course, there always will be, no matter what I do, but um, the, the record, I think, is, is more diverse in terms of dynamics and tonal uh, textures and uh, kind of a sonic landscape. So I wanted to kind of take the, the listener on a, on a bit of a journey, um, not only you know through time of the writing of the songs, but also just the, the flavor and instrumentation and different moods and so forth on the record. So, and you know, with with 40 years of Dear Force history, you decided to to release the album under your own name, and I'm, I'm anxious to hear you talk a little bit about how that idea came to be. Well, um, I had. Uh, you know, I, I, I had a, a divergence of paths, you know, back in the late 80s. I, I left the state. I, I went to grad school at The Ohio State University and got a doctorate in psychology. I was out of state for, you know, well over 10 years. I lived in Columbus for eight and did a postdoc there. I came back in 2001 and I was looking to get back into to music at some point, but um, my wife and I... Um, were newly married and started a family, and so the you know the early 2000s were taken up with that, and then um, I wanted to you know get back into some kind of musical activity, and actually had a band that uh, I put together with a guitarist by the name of Kelly Peterson back in uh, we started writing together in 2012, and put out uh, an EP uh, with that group, um, which I'm very proud of, but unfortunately the singer we had. Um, Sean Smith, just a great vocalist, developed some really serious hearing difficulties. So as luck would have it, we put out the record, and Sean says, "Well, I, you know, I can't, uh, I can't perform anymore." So mm -hmm. Kelly and I were kind of scratching our heads as to what to do next. And I said, "Well, what would you think about this?" Was early 2017, and I said, "What? How about uh, reforming Dare Force?" And he said, "You know, I, I kind of thought you might have something like that in mind." Um, so I, before I did anything with the name, though, I wanted to, to get permission from uh, the fellow that I co-founded co the band with, uh, Brian Bart, who I've, you know, played with literally all my life. 
um, kind of wanted to get his blessing and you know before I proceeded and he said well if you've you know if you could round up at least one other guy from the original cast um, I'm, I'm cool with that so um, Brian Lawrence and the original bassist uh, joined the fold and so we played out and um, released a, a record in 2018 I, I think I was probably on your show around that time called calling your name mm -hmm. yeah. and then uh, Kelly left the band um, not too long thereafter to kind of work on his he's got a quite a backlog of material and so we believe last year excuse me early uh, 2019 uh, had yet another guitarist and you know worked together for about a year and um, by the early part of last year um, you know there's so many changes going on in the world both politically and the pandemic and so forth and kind of a long story short you might say the the virus killed the force I just found myself in a situation where I was um, playing with you know three other fellows that really had a divergent worldview from mine without getting too far into things but it just really became kind of a untenable position um, for, for us to continue and so I thought, well, you know, I, I'm not going to form yet another version of Dare Force. Um, and in fact, the three of them are have since formed their own band. They're kind of doing their own thing. Um, but uh, I wasn't quite sure what I, I wanted to do something. So I, you know, I called Brian Bard again, my mm -hmm. longtime friend, and chatted with him a bit and he said why don't you do a solo record and it's something that I'd always had in the back of my mind um, never had the opportunity to do it but um, what better time to start a, a solo career during a, a global pandemic so I I thought um, but this time around instead of you know forming another band um, I decided that I, I was gonna take on the role of a benevolent dictator and mm -hmm. um, you know, form form a band, uh, you know, release a solo album, and then form a band under my name. Um, you know, not that I'm ruling with an iron fist or anything, but I I just thought that um, you know it was time for me to it just was kind of the, the next chapter, I guess. It just seemed to to make sense to it was it was time to to take that step, and so I've had um, just great fortune um, rounding up other. Uh, players for my new band. Um, on the record, um, Joaquin Becker um, plays all the, the drum tracks except for um, on uh, Tell Me What You Think You Know, that's actually Mark Miller playing drums on that track. But um, he and I um, are the, the only two on the record, um, along with Danny Piranel from UFO, and I can talk a little bit about that. But we put out the record um, with basically just the two of us on it and I thought all along that I certainly wanted to to be able to play out live once we get you know past this virus situation here so um, I you know through a series this all happened through Facebook Messenger I should I should buy stock in <laughs> Facebook Messenger I, I got a hold of got a hold of uh, Joaquin Joe we call him and uh, you know, asked him, "Hey, you want to play my record? I already had all the the uh, guitar tracks done." And uh, he said, "Send me, you know, what you got." And he heard it, and he said, "Sure, I'm in." And you know, the next thing I know, he's slamming, uh, 
tracks out of Winterland Studios. I think we banged out seven tracks in one afternoon with him just just killing it. And um, so when we finished the record, you know, we started thinking about, well, who else can we can we recruit to finish the group? And I, there was a guitarist, uh, John Funk, um, who I've known over the years and had never played with, but great guy, great player. He's, he's been in a band called The Good Bars for several years. And again, another messenger call to him, um, hey, you want to join my band? And he was more than eager to jump right in. So that was the three of us, and we started rehearsing just the three of us, and we thought, well, you know, we, we do need a bass player. <clears throat> and um, it was kind of funny. I, I, You know, we were scratching our heads thinking about the right person, and we wanted to find people that not only, you know, fit musically, but um, chemistry-wise, personality-wise. So we wanted to, you know, we weren't just going to have an open cattle call for people we didn't know. And uh, Joe said, well, if, you know, there's, remember that band Paradox? And I thought, oh, my God, of course, Benny Craig, the bass player from Paradox, uh, a group that was um, around the circuit when uh, Dare Force was just getting going. And I'd known Benny for years, and uh, I thought, perfect choice, another messenger call, hey, Benny, you want to join my band? And he said, you know, Anyone else, I would have said no. But for you, he said, there's there's no way I, I would turn you down. So he <laughs> came over for a rehearsal, and we had a quote-unquote audition with him that, I mean, you know, by the time he walked in the door, we knew he was going to be in the band. So it just, uh, that was just a couple months ago, and the four of us have been rehearsing since then, and it's just really um, gelled nicely, and, you know, we're we're all just, Totally pumped with um, you know, wanting to get back out and play live shows uh, when the time is, is right and safe. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I've been, it, it been sounds like it. you had to t you had to take a pretty different approach to recording, uh, just process-wise, um, based on the pandemic. And I'm sure working solo had a different connection to your writing than when you were working, you know, as as the band, right? Talk a little bit about well, how, how your process was this time around. It actually um, it was kind of uh, almost ass backwards. Um, it, you know, I, I was in Brian's studio. He's uh, out uh, near Lake Minnetonka, and I did um, all the vocal and rhythm guitar tracks to a click track. I hadn't contacted Joe yet. So I had, I didn't do any solos, but I had all the, uh, I, you know, I play um, lead, bass, slide, and acoustic on the record. All the all the guitars are me, um, but I I put down all the the rhythm tracks and the vocals, and um, you know, no drums. And then I, hmm. I called Joe and um, you know ran the tracks by him. He actually played. To the tracks in the studio after they had been recorded and just you know locked in um just really tight and so we we had that then i went back and did the solos after he had put down uh the drum tracks i certainly wanted a way to have live drums before i put down any solos um mm -hmm. so we did that and in, in the meanwhile um I thought about trying to, to have some keys on the on a, a couple tracks. I I don't play keyboards, um, and I was talking to Joe about. It. He says, "Well, I you know I 
I know a guy that we could probably get. Um, I said, yeah, and he goes, yeah, he, his, na his name is Danny Peronelli. He's the original keyboardist in UFO. I said, what? What are you talking about? He says, yeah, I met him out of New York. Uh, you know, Joe, Joe had played uh, in a couple of bands, Rattling Bones and Funhouse, and been out in New York and met Danny um, while he was out there. So another messenger call. Hey, wow. hey, Danny, you want to play? You want to play some tracks on my record? And of course, you know, Joe had made the initial introduction, but here I am, you know, talking to this guy who's played in one of my all-time favorite uh, hard rock yeah. bands with none other than Michael Shanker, who's probably yeah. one of my favorite guitarists of all time. Um, same thing. Danny says, "Well, send me some tracks," and the next thing I know, he's. Sounds really good. Sure, I, I'm in too. So we're, you know, he's in the south of France. He lives uh, in the French Riviera, and we're, you know, flying tracks back and forth over the internet. And um, so that that was the last uh, kind of piece of the puzzle to to put it together. And then, of course, it was just, you know, multiple um, mixing uh, sessions at Brian's. Um, and actually, the the record was was totally in the can in November, and um, you know, I originally was debating about when to release it, and as I'm sure you're aware, you know, the end of the year is, you know, you, around the holidays you typically have um, just a flood of things on the market with, you mm -hmm. know, holiday releases and so forth. And so I thought, well, I'm going to wait till the, you know, 2021 to release this. And um, it's kind of funny, you know, with numbers and so forth. And I thought, well. I kind of like the way 12121 sounds, and of course it was the day after the uh, inauguration of our new president. So I thought it'd be a, a good day to, to to launch, you know, to unleash the beast, as I've been saying. <laughs> and uh, one of my uh, fans pointed out, he says, "Well, it's pretty easy to remember. It's the 21st day of the 21st year of the 21st century." And I thought, "Wow, um, there is a little." something cosmic about that but yeah. um, and it's a palindrome yeah. too <laughs> right <You're> right <laughs> exactly so but well, um, I want to I want to give yeah. people a chance to uh, to to sample the the record here um, and it seems fitting to start off with the first uh, track on on the record snake in the grass can you talk a little bit about the rec the, the song sure um, well uh, it's a, um, you know, definitely a, a, a straight-ahead, you know, kind of grab-you-by-the-throat rocker. I, I I thought it was a really fitting track to open the record. I, I had the riff, um, it, you know, it's one of the newer songs on the, on the record. Um, but the inspiration for it, um, and I have to be a little careful here, my, as I mentioned, my day gig, I'm a psychologist. Well, at the time, I was with a group practice, and the CEO of the practice was not the... Um, the most ethical person, <clears throat> shall we say. Um, hmm. So she was <laughs> one inspiration for the tune. Of course, there are a number of individuals that it can apply to. Um, but I, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I released a solo album around the same time that I started a solo practice as a psychologist. Um, so that was the initial uh, inspiration for the tune. But um, as events unfolded, it, it certainly became uh, applicable to a number of, of different interpretations um, beyond the one that I originally had written it about. So that's the great thing about about art, right? There's so many different ways you can interpret uh, a great piece of art. 
Yeah, most definitely. And I, I think, you know, people have, have, have seen that and, um, but yeah, it's just, you know, real, uh, you know, powerful opening to the record. And I got a chance to, to play some, uh, slide guitar, which is, you know, something I've played on a few tracks in the record. I'll, I can talk more about that after we listen to it.
Wow. So, Johnny, as I heard the intro to that song, the, all I could see in my head was a sea of fists and horns raised from the audience looking <laughs> up at you on, on the stage. I mean, it just it's, it's the perfect anthem to start the record. Well, thank you, Jason, and I, I, I have that imagery in mind as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that it becomes more than an image in my mind, but yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to do with it, is just have a real, um, as you said, an anthem. You know, something that just, you know, the minute you, uh, you started the record, it just, it was like something just reaching out, just just grabbing you. You you, you had no choice but to be drawn in, and um, so I I wanted to to launch it that way, and and of course the record takes different twi you know twists and turns, but uh, I wanted something from the start that really was going to you know grab the listener's attention. So, and uh, and you dropped a video for that song this week. Uh, talk a little bit about where you recorded, what the process was like, and 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 so on. Yeah, well, um, Brian had, um, you know, he's done some recording with uh, Joey Mullen from Badfinger, and um, Joey's done a number of videos, and I was talking to Brian about doing a video for uh, for Snake and asking him if he had any people in mind uh, for shooting the video, and he, he mentioned right off the bat um, Kurt and Brianna Jorgensen, um, who have done video work for Joey, um, and I also might add that um, Kurt and Brianna are musicians in their own right. If you have a chance to check out the Jorgensons, um, they are a fabulous uh, husband and wife duo um, in their own right. But they also uh, shoot videos. So I got a hold of Kurt, and um, we went out to uh, a friend of mine has a it's kind of a quirky venue out in Wisconsin. It's called the Wet Barn. That's kind of the ultimate man cave, if you will. It's it's like a uh, kind of a speakeasy. It's a, a renovated barn, as the name implies. It probably, I don't know, you probably could fit maybe 300 people in there. Of course, we had a you know a close set. It was just just us and the and uh, and Kurt and Brianna shooting the video uh, and a couple of other people. Um, but uh, this was done, you know, toward the the tail end of last year, the you know, in fact, I think the snow was actually falling that day. It was pretty cold, and but we got uh, under the lights and um, you know a few takes, and you warm right up. And um, they just uh, did a, a fabulous job. They've they've done you know some commercials for us, and um, we're certainly going to be doing some more videos with them as well. But um, yeah, it was it was a really just a, a neat experience, and they just being musicians themselves really um, lent a lot to their the way that things get edited and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of kind of fun when you have a musician who you know knows where solos come in and are able to sync things up appropriately and and so forth. So I I've just been really pleased um, with them. Um, and also I I have to say too, um, Kurt. Uh, when we finished the video, he, he said, "Well, Johnny, do, do you have anyone that's actually, you know, working this record?" And I said, "Well, um, at the moment, not actually. Do you have anyone in mind?" And uh, he was kind enough to um, give me a, the names of a few people. Um, there's Tinderbox Records here in in the Twin Cities, but he also gave me the name of Michael Brandvold, who's a, a, a marketing uh, 
genius uh, and certainly fits the the description. He's out in California, and um, so they both have been uh, working as my publicist with the record. And Michael um, has just done a bang up job with getting the record out there. And you know we're all over the place uh, with internet stations and um, you know getting reviews from. Uh, She's publications in Europe, and, and uh, Tinderbox has been involved with that too. But um, uh, finding Kurt to shoot a video turned out to be um, a, a very fortuitous in a number of ways beyond just making a great video. So it just a lot of serendipity involved here. Um, I've been really, really fortunate in a lot of different ways with how this has all come together. It, it seems like you put the energy out into the world and the, and the world responded, uh, you know, multiple times over. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, the record's been out for barely you know, just over 10 days. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I, it, it's kind of, uh, I, I won't use the term overwhelming, but just really exciting, um, you know, to see the response and just to see, you know, kind of, waiting to see what unfolds here, um, but, you know, getting write-ups from, um, you know, stations in the UK and Germany, Spain, Greece, and of course throughout the United States here too, and we're just about to, to launch a, a radio marketing campaign with Tinderbox in a few days, so that's going to bring it up, you know, a whole other level, and so we're, we're, we're just getting it going, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's the, been, uh, you know, when when Dare Force was in its prime in the in the 80s, you certainly toured the U.S. and you know you've told the stories of uh, opening for Kiss and a number of other bands along the way, uh, as well as playing you know big events here in, in in Minnesota. Does it feel like you're surpassing that level of success with this record? You know, I, in terms of the people with whom I'm working. Um, Absolutely, I you know, I think that was in the one of the main things that held us back uh, with Dare Force back in the day. You know, we had a lot of different um, booking agents that we work with, but truth be told, we just didn't really have um, uh, the right management or you know people that that had the connections uh, and the clout to to uh, you know for us to attract some attention. And um, so that was one factor, plus timing, too. We, we put out a record in 89 called Firepower, which I think is a really solid release. But uh, here we are, you know, the coming out still kind of in the era of the big hair 80s thing, and then, you know, release a record in 89. Well, what happens? You know, the whole grunge thing. So yeah. it, it just, so much of it is, you know, timing and, um, and, frankly luck but um, again getting back to Kurt with some of these um, uh, connections that uh, he's been gracious enough to to share with me um, with a tinderbox here in town and you know they work with a number of artists um, you know Dan Wilson and you know other people uh, from Minnesota but um, Michael out in California um, has just been a real awesome contact he's a uh, actually got his start developing um, KISS's website um, and then from there he's worked with everybody from oh my gosh 
Alice Cooper, Madonna. I mean, you you look at his talent roster, and it's just it's it's kind of uh, amazing um, the people that he's worked with. So to be able to to have those kind of people that really know the business, and of course um, the business has changed so much with the advent of the internet. But to really have you know pros that are really savvy at, at how to how to market, and um, you know with so many artists out there these days releasing records, trying to to garner attention. Um, when you have you know so many other players out there, um, it really helps to have some people that that are total pros that really know what the hell they're doing. So yeah, I'd, I'd have to say that in, in some respects, um, I I have perhaps higher hopes for this than than anything I've done before. To be honest with you, um, well. We'll we'll see, but it's off to a rip and start. That's all I know. It's it's pretty exciting, and and certainly you know you talked about some of the the pros that you you have uh, working with you musically as well, and and Joe and his drumming uh, is a pretty big contributor to to the to the record. Um, there are a lot of the songs that it really feels like he's just right in the pocket with with you and what you have in mind for the song um how did how did you guys work together i mean i know he was playing to your tracks but yeah there while he was in the studio you know i'd already recorded everything so he was um you know playing to my tracks it it wasn't as if we were playing live together in a studio Mm -hmm. yeah um so he you know he was familiar with the tracks had to listen to them um, on his own quite a bit, and then we uh, went out to to Winterland Studios out in Crystal, and um, just did a, an afternoon of him, um, you know, playing all all the drum tracks. And you know, of course, Brian and I were there, but it was Joe. Uh, you know, we were in the the control room, and you know, looking through the window at, at Joe just slamming um and you know by then he had certainly done his homework and was familiar with the tracks and you know knew the arrangements and so forth but um there again chemistry is everything you've got to have and especially with the drummer you know the the drummer of any band is any rock band is the the backbone of of the of the endeavor and you can you can have a great band but if the drummer isn't cutting it um the band is just is going to be dead in the water. Um, but Joe is just a, a powerhouse and has a great groove. And um, you know he doesn't overplay, but he, he's he's got some great chops. Um, but um, it just again chemistry and in many respects, uh, you know, kind of my right hand man with this. He also did. I should also add, he did all the uh, the graphics for the album cover too. So he's a okay. He's a multi-talented cat, so um, yeah, just a just a great fit. Yeah, you know one of the one of the things that that you mentioned and it struck me even from the very first time I listened through the album was the diversity of of the songs and you know it, it really like you said with with the drumming to be in each of those songs. And driving ahead or staying behind the the the, the, the beat is so mm-hmm. essential. And I'm and I'm curious to know kind of how you mapped out the record with that much diversity in it. You know, what were your thoughts as you kind of put these tunes together? Yeah, well, you know, that's it's kind of like writing a set list for a live show. Um, 
you know, you start off, you want to have a strong beginning and a strong ending, and then, you know, you kind of fill in the, the middle. Um, I, I knew off the bat that snake would probably be the, the, the track to open the record with. And then, um, you know, I've got the, the, uh, the instrumental tune, uh, World Run Amok, and I thought, you know, it was just such a, a guitar extravaganza. It's kind of my, my uh, nod to Joe Satriani. Not that I'm saying I'm Joe Satriani, but it's, you know, it's got that kind of a vibe to it. And I thought that, that would certainly be a, a rip and closer. But between um, those two points, I wanted to have some dynamics in the record. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, taking the, the listener on a, a bit of a sonic journey. So I thought, you know, the middle of the record, wanted to bring it down. I, I had um, Owe to Mark, the acoustic tune, go right into Temple. And that's kind of like the, um, oh, the the middle segment where it's, you know, a little mellower mood or more introspective. And, um, and, and then it comes back up, of course, with, um, you know, the last few tracks and, you know, closing with something that's really, you know, a, a, a rip and tune. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, you think about, you know, what each song has its own type of, of mood and, um, texture and so forth. And, you know, I played around with a couple of different track orders, but um, and I I got some input, you know, from from Joe as well. And um, you know, between myself, Joe, and Brian, um, you know, finally came up with an order that seemed to to fit. And then once you start to, you know, you're when you're mixing, you know, I'd be out at Brian's studio, and every after every mix session, he'd burn me a, you know, a CD of of rough mixes. And um, I I have a a car that still has a CD player, and I I've got a <laughs> I have a 2017 Santa Fe um, Hyundai SUV. It was the last year they made with a CD player, and that's one of the reasons why I bought the car. <laughs> but I but I'd come home from Brian's, and I'd you know put the uh, the you know the latest mix in the CD player, and um, you know just kind of listen to the flow of, of what was happening, and as time progressed I started thinking wow um, the mixes on this are and Brian is just a, a master in the studio um, and knows my playing almost as if, if not as well as me mm-hmm. um, but as you know the sessions progressed um, the mixes just got so tight and you, you, you finally start getting used to a particular song order and then um you know it, it becomes kind of kind of set in your mind that that's that's the way you're going to go mm-hmm. yeah the uh, the the flow between ode to mark and and temple is uh is really a pretty unique uh connection between those songs and and that acoustic intro on temple is i really love the way that 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 record started did you did you start with that intro riff or how did how did the song temple come together um well those two songs seem to to be a natural fit i had in mind all along having those two actually they almost are are, um there's minimal space in between them Mm -hmm. you know with a with a disc you have to have at least you know a a little bit of spacing um you know for the tracks to be read properly and so forth but um I wanted to have them as almost a, a segue um, from one end to the other, 
And um, I, a couple of years ago, I got a really nice uh, 1964 Gibson acoustic. I always wanted a, a really, never had a really nice acoustic, and I finally picked one up. And you know, I I played um, acoustic on some Dareforth stuff, you know, just additional tracks, but never had an acoustic song on any Dareforth record. And with this, I, I wanted to have, again, you know, just, just some more texture. I didn't want to have it a, you know, kind of your typical headbanging record from start to finish. And so um, with the intro to Temple, I always had in mind, you know, using the, the acoustic and then, you know, kind of just having a slow build. It's, it's, it's kind of more of a um, cinematic uh, soundscape, if you will, with... Um, you know, there's Danny's keys come in, and Joe had this idea of just having this um, kind of marching chord. He took a, a snare drum and just did this kind of drum roll that you can just hear faintly coming in from the distance, and he wanted to kind of have the effect of, you know, a, a, a drum core kind of marching closer and closer, and then, the you know, the song kicks in, um, and then it, you know, it certainly picks up with, you know, the middle section, there's a, uh, I wanted to get some strings on the record too. And of course I, you know, I, Brian, um, just did a, a great string arrangement, uh, digitally, um, for the middle section, which is, you know, kind of the, um, the high point, And then it, you know, comes back in, um, to the, to the intro part at the, at the end of the song. Um, but, um, that song in particular was something far different from anything I'd ever done before, and I just was really pleased with with the final result. It it just, uh, I yeah, I I I, I can't um, I couldn't add anything more to it and be, and and be more more pleased with it. That's for sure. It's it's certainly one of my favorite tracks on the record, and I think we should give uh, give everybody a chance to to hear it as well. Uh, Absolutely. This is Temple by Johnny O'Neill off of Truth or Dare.
Johnny, I'm a sucker for a good Hammond B3 organ. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and that just was such a nice little addition to that song. And I'm curious to know if that was something that you had mapped in your head from the beginning, or did Danny bring that to the table? You know, I, I kind of let um, Danny come up with his own his own uh, parts. I, you know, I, I had, a, you know, an idea in mind of, you know, there were particular songs that I thought he would work best on um, that being one of them but I basically I, I sent him all the tracks I, and first I said you know what do you think what what songs seem to stand out to you that you think would fit and he mentioned that um, but the uh, the parts are, are his and you know he's um, you know he's a he's a hard rocker but he's also a Juilliard trained musician um, so he's quite adept um, but it, I'm totally with you on the Hammond B3. There's nothing like that sound, but there's also a piano a track as well um, that he's playing. And so there's kind of, you know, the the B3 kind of sits, it's almost kind of like a bedrock, um, mm-hmm. kind of lurking atmospheric uh, in the background. And then, you know, you, there's the, uh, the piano part that he put in as well. Um, kind of a, a funny story with Danny, though we we did a remake of Revolution, and um, you know Beatles songs are deceptively simple. Um, <laughs> while there's you know the the turnaround part in the chorus, Brian and I it took us I don't know probably half an hour to figure that out. And of course we one thing complicating we we um, I always tune down half a step. I don't. I don't uh, play or record in, in mm-hmm. standard A440 tuning. So we're tuned down half a step and, you know, trying to figure out what in the world are they, are they doing with this, you know, the middle part, um, you know, before it goes into the chorus. And finally got it figured out. And so, you know, Dan, it, was, it came time for Danny's tracks to, you know, be flown from France. And I was up, I, I couldn't get to sleep. I stumbled out and spied my cell phone about four in the morning and here's this message from Danny. He's going, how does that chord progression revolution go? And you know, as I mentioned, this is, this is a guy trained at Juilliard and he's asking me, you know, how the chord progression goes. And of course, I mean, you know, we're not reading from sheet music or anything like that. And sure. um, I, so I, you know, stumbled downstairs to the, our, we rehearse in my home, and so I stumble downstairs. You know, it's about 4:30 in the morning, and I'm, you know, trying to, you know, everything's transposed half a step down. So I'm in my head, I'm trying to, you know, write out the progression and uh, text it back to him. And he gets back to me. Well, I don't think that's right. And I said, Trust me, Danny. Just try it. It's right. And about 20 minutes later, another text comes through. He goes, Yep, you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was pretty funny. But um, 
yeah, that's another track too where he just, you know, the more of the um, kind of honky tonk um, piano vibe just mm-hmm. really added so much to that um, to that track. Um, what inspired so really, you to put that song on the on the record? It was it, it, it's it's such a great tune, and I love great covers. And I'm 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 really interested to hear the backstory on on how it came to land on the record. Yeah, well, first and foremost, um, I am, of course, along with just about every other musician on the planet, a, a complete Beatles fanatic. I'd, I'd I wouldn't be playing guitar if not for seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan when I was five years old. Mm. Um, so I just always, um, they're in an echelon all their own uh, as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, um, with the track, it was funny. I, I actually, you know, I was just listening to the radio um, before I started working on recording and heard the um uh, you know the, the the version that we hear on the radio is not on the it's on the white album and the, the white album version is kind of more of a laid back kind of acoustic type of thing it's it's not that you know that really distorted guitar sound version that you hear that they released as a single um, but I heard that and I thought man that'd be a killer remake and then along with the complete global upheaval that we've been through the last year if not the last four years um i just thought what what a time for that you know it just just seemed to be a perfect time to to do a remake of it um so what we did was kind of a mashup the beginning of the tune we did you know kind of that more of acoustic version that that you can hear on the white album but then we kicked it into uh you know the the harder rock version that you hear on the radio um but i just thought it was just such a fitting song for the times and and it's it's, you know it's a classic i always loved the track um but boy oh boy um i tell you lennon and mccartney um you know you 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 hear a song a thousand times and you think oh i i know how that goes i've heard it so many times i can just pick up my guitar and you know i'm i'm sure i can just figure out the progression of heartbeat Sure. Uh-uh. And it, it's, uh, you know, parts of it are like that, but boy, when you start really um, teasing it apart, um, those guys uh, were definitely geniuses, and their songwriting will, you know, obviously stand the test of time for eons to, to come. So. Yeah. When, when you think about taking on a song like Revolution, how do you balance the respect that you have for the song and the songwriters and your desire to put your own touch on it no that's a good question i you know i certainly didn't want to do anything um you know too divergent i i thought you know kind of mashing the two versions together was kind of a unique twist and then of course you know my guitar style i mean i think you know by this point in time i've developed my own style and you're going to i think anyone who's heard me play and if, if they hear something that I've recorded they they know it's me playing mm-hmm. um, so but I, I wanted to to really kind of try and stay true um, to what they had done and of course you know geez the, when you think of the technology they were using you know with George Martin back in the day and mm-hmm. you know two inch tapes and splicing and all this kind of stuff and you just it's just remarkable what they were able to achieve with you know, pretty um, 
rudimentary technology. And of course, nowadays with everything digital, there's just so much that you can you can do. Um, but um, I wanted to, you know, to stay fairly true to, you know, to the to the original, and, and certainly have just profound respect for their uh, their genius. Um, so I I didn't want to, you know. I wasn't going to do a hip hop version of Revolution. Put it that way. I'm sure that's been done, and I, you know, and I'm sure that I'm sure someone has done it very well, but it wouldn't be me. So exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we talked a little bit earlier about "Tell Me What You Think You Know" uh, and how you wrote that song a long time ago, but the the lyrics are pretty contemporary. And, and really talk about the current state of the world. And, you know, it fits along with what you said about revolution. You know, I mean, this, we're at a certain time in the world where, you know, the lyrics of a Tell Me What You Think You Know are pretty impactful. Can you talk a little bit about how you took the lyrics and, and molded them to what had been a song that you, you've, you've been playing for years? Yeah. Well, um you know the the music the song was recorded 15 years ago we never uh, released it it never got played um the original lyrics were kind of your stereotypical you know kind of relationship ended and the guys all ticked off at his girlfriend and you know this kind of thing and i i just thought you know i, I wanted to do something different with it so i, I basically took the, the vocals off and rewrote the lyrics and and you know the music tracks were all mine, um, and so I thought, well, I'm just going to rewrite the lyrics and rewrite a totally different melody line. And you know, getting back, you were asking earlier about how I started off on a solo career, and I think being an artist, it's it, part of our role is to um, is to to be blunt about it, is to call out bullshit when you see it, and I. I I thought that one thing that we've been suffering from for the, the last number of years is a real truth decay and so much disinformation and misinformation and also um, so many aspects of history that um, that we were never taught as kids in elementary school. So, you know, with this past summer being so turbulent with the racial strife and so forth, I thought it was really important to um, bring people's attention to things that that I myself had only recently learned about. So the, you know, the first the first verse talks about um, the Tulsa, Oklahoma bombing in 1921, and um, there was a real very prosperous um, section of Tulsa known as Black Wall Street. Um, you had all kinds of black entrepreneurs, you know, doctors and lawyers, and um, they were essentially obliterated uh, by the racist Ku Klux Klan and so forth. Um, I talked about that, the Tuskegee uh, blacks that were, you know, got a deadly deadly shot. Well, that was with syphilis. They were never told about that. It was a, just a despicable experiment conducted on them. And then um, I also wanted to turn the light a little bit on Minnesota. You know, we always pride ourselves on being such a bastion of progressivism, and um, but it has not always been the case, and I was watching a, a it was a PBS show um, earlier last year 
talking about uh, what are called redlining districts. And I had never even known this about Minneapolis, but at the turn of the century, they had um, actual codes um, that prevented anyone of color from buying or selling real estate in certain areas of Minneapolis. They were known mm -hmm. as you know, red line districts. Yeah, my, and, my home actually has uh, the original uh, deed had that on it. On the abstract? Yeah, yep. they were taken away, but uh, but yeah, the, the original abstract for the house had that uh, restrictive covenant on it. Yep, and I had never, I was just stunned. I was watching the show, I, truth be told, I, I, I literally started crying when I saw this because I thought, you know, I, I just could not believe that something like that, you know, I, I was, you know, born in Minneapolis, I grew up in Golden Valley, you know, I, I, I live on the other side of the river these days, but I've always, you know, Minneapolis is, is you know, part of my soul. And when I saw that program, um, it just really cut through me. And I thought, you know, people need to know about this kind of stuff and have an understanding. Um, and there's also two other constructs that I think are important that people really haven't fully appreciated. Um, and that is um, systemic racism, which is real, uh, and, and white privilege. And um, I, I thought it was important without getting, you know, you know I, I didn't want to make a, a real political album and and I'm, I'm not um, I'm not going to be the next Bob Dylan or something like that but I, I thought that I, I wanted to have an element of that and especially with um, you know kind of how the Air Force came to an end and just with the um, the political climate the racial climate there just was so much going on that I thought it was really important to to um, to speak up and to draw some attention to, to things that I think a lot of people um, just aren't aware of and, and still uh, a lot of people aren't fully aware of but that's mm -hmm. that's part of what an artist's job is at least in, in my estimation so I think that's a great lead-in to, to the track and I, I think it's it's one that I want to make sure everybody everybody gets a chance to hear so let's uh, Let's give people a chance to listen to Tell Me What You Think You Know by Johnny O'Neill.
Johnny, one of the things that struck me about that song the first time I listened to it was the gritty, bluesy nature of the the instrumental component of it. Mm-hmm. But then when you layer that on top of all of the imagery, it felt even more powerful. I mean, that gritty track felt even more compelling mm-hmm. as you listen to the lyrics more. And I'm curious to know what it was about that track in particular that felt like it was the song that could carry those lyrics. Well, actually, um, the riff itself um, was inspired by Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top, who's another fabulous guitarist. I just love his playing. And so the riff is, is kind of a kind of a old school ZZ Top type of thing, but also um, sly guitar. It's kind of funny. I, I, there's two solo parts on the song. The, the, uh, the first solo was done 15 years ago. And, um, you know, there's something about fly guitar and the blues and mm-hmm. it just, you know, and you mentioned just kind of that, that gritty sound. It just, you know, it, it, the track just sonically lent itself to, to those kind of lyrics. But I, I did the, the first slide solo 15 years ago. The last solo that you hear on the outro of the song, um, actually, I, I, is brand new. I, I, I recorded that, um, and, you know, earlier I'd mentioned Mark Damon, the, the fellow that I, I wrote Ode to Mark with, you know, mm-hmm. who was tragically killed. Well, Mark played a 1963 Gibson Firebird, mm-hmm. and a Gibson Firebird, a 63, um, Johnny Winter played those and for years, and there was nothing like the sound of a 63 Firebird uh, with fly guitar. So, mm-hmm. um Mark's brother, uh, John, actually was the song man for Dare Force for many years and still has Mark's guitar. And so I called John when I was recording the, the record. I said, you know, would, would you mind, uh, you know, bringing Mark's guitar over and could I, could I play it on uh, some tracks? And he said, absolutely. So the, the outro solo um, was done on that guitar. And actually, that guitar is all over the record. Um, it's the tone of that thing. It's on a world run amok um, in several spots in particular. And um, so I, I, I had to go out and, and get one myself. I, I didn't buy a 63, but I just bought a 2003 Firebird um, because of the, uh, there's just something about those guitars, the way they're constructed and so forth. The other thing, I'll just kind of a side note, getting into instrumentation and so forth. I played, you know, bass on all the tracks and, you know, and I was at Brian's, I, I, I don't even own a bass guitar. I said, well, Brian, you know, you got a bass. He says, yeah. I'm, he says, you're going to play a five string. I went, what? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not a, you know, a, a bass player. He says, yeah, you're, you know, try that, that five string. Well, it turned out to be one of the best suggestions he made because along with that firebird, uh, that, Five-string bass has such a, a real bedrock um, low end to it, and um, so Benny Craig, our, our bass player in our our band, um, I said, Benny, you're going to have to learn to play a five-string. There's just <laughs> there's no way there's no way that you can play these tracks without a without a five-string. So he actually went and found a five-string Thunderbird which is kind of like the, you know, the twin to a, sure. a six-string Firebird. He, he found a five-string Firebird from this guy in Germany <laughs> and wow. uh, ordered that online. Um, so, so now we've got, you know, a couple of birds in the band and, 
Um, you know, Benny's playing a five string, but um, yeah, between that and the, you know, the the slide and and uh, you know Mark's stellar playing, um, it just, you know, like you said, it's got that that kind of a a, a real almost it's almost trance like, almost hypnotic. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, we get going on that sometimes at rehearsal. We'll just run the riff and just solo over it. Um, and you know we could do that for a long time. I bet. Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun to play. And, and how how meaningful was it for you to be able to play uh, your dear friend's guitar? After oh my gosh! Oh, you know it, 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 it's funny instruments, especially ones that you've owned for a long time, they become a part of you. They become a part of your soul. But to, you know to have an instrument like that Firebird with such a history and knowing that, you know, Mark played it for years and mm -hmm. and just the tone of it um, is just so, so fabulous. Uh, it was really a, really a treat to, to have it on the record. Have you, uh, you and the guys talked about when and if you might be able to play live anytime soon? Well, certainly. I mean, we're all super anxiously awaiting, um, you know, the vaccines to roll out. And we also... Um, take this virus very seriously we're not gonna you know number one we're we're not gonna um take any risks you know we have families and kids and so forth and so we're not going to go out and play until it's safe to do so and we don't in certain obviously would never want to uh, put our fans at risk either but it looks like you know the from what i'm hearing that um it, it looks promising for perhaps by the end of summer early fall that things are going to start opening back up and you know as soon as um it looks like it's safe to to jump back in we're you know we're we're chomping at the bit big time to to play um in the meantime we might do some kind of a you know a virtual show online i know that a lot of people are doing that and mm -hmm. i i could see us you know doing something like that but you know of course nothing is the same as as being on stage in front of an audience and just having that um, that synergy of, of energy that just flows back and forth when when you're locked in with an audience and they're responding to what you're doing and there's this kind of feedback loop that gets going um, it's the best the best drug in the world there's there's nothing like it and I I'm really jonesing for that right now. <laughs> so. I am. I am too. My wife was giving me a hard time the other day. She said, "You know, you haven't gotten any new concert T-shirts in a while." <laughs> yeah. Well, I I bought uh, tickets for the Last Stones tour that got canceled, um, oh. and they they um, they have yet to cancel the tour. It's quote unquote postponed. Well, those tickets are in the drawer. I'm. <laughs> I'm hoping that later this summer they actually, you know, come back out and I'll take my two teenagers to show them, uh, you know, the the greatest uh, rock and roll band that's still playing these days. Um, and that, so I'm, I'm really, you know, hoping that 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 takes place. But yeah, we're we're really eager to, you know, to take the show out and, you know, brand new record and we're getting. You know, really good response from listeners and so forth but um to be able to play it live i just i can hardly wait to do that it's going to be a, in, in in the meantime uh where do we send people to uh to buy the new record and learn more about you and the band sure um well a couple main sites um you know facebook of course um 
Johnny O'Neill Official um, is my site on Facebook. I have my own website, which is johnnyoneill.com. Um, it's all one word, J-O-H-N-N-Y-O-N-E-I-L.com. No apostrophe. We Irish, we suffer from apostrophe discrimination <laughs> in the digital world. But, uh, um, but the website has um, links. We're on... Um, you can buy the, the disc, um, the physical disc through Bandcamp. Um, we have a a, 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 um, a Bandcamp page, but um, digital downloads on you know Amazon and iTunes and Apple Music and YouTube and so forth. And then uh, I'm actually going to start uh, hitting the pavement here a bit and, and uh, go around to some stores and, and get some uh, physical product of you know, out in the stores, that's kind of the the next thing to, on the to-do list. But um, but you can certainly find, you know, links to, to purchase the record on my site and then Facebook. We're on Instagram as well. Um, but Facebook and my website are probably, the you know, the two, you know, main sites to, to keep track of what we're up to. Well, Johnny, it's been so much fun to talk about the new record and connect with you again. I, I love the new tunes and I can't wait to see you guys out uh, on the on the stage thanks so much for being on the show again well Jason it's been my pleasure and I can't thank you enough for your support of not only my music but Twin Cities music uh, in general and um, it's just again been a pleasure to be on the show and um, we'll have to do it again sometime soon maybe maybe after your first live gig this fall yeah, and by the way, we are going to come out with another record with the full band, too. We're already um, starting to write some new material, believe it or not. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, you know, Rolling Stone gathers no moss. So we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're, um, we're fully, we got, we got some gas left in the tank, and we're, we're revving to go. So I, I can't um, wait so to hear there'll be another release. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Johnny, thanks again. Thank you, Jason.